Welcome to Wide Awake Stories from Insomniac. This is a journey by a journey which along the way will bring to you new color, new dimension, new value, and a new experience. <laughs> Broadcasting from the Insomniac HQ, this is Wide Awake Stories. Welcome to episode three of Wide Awake Stories. It's a new podcast from Insomniac HQ. It's a show that's going to highlight all the people, the places, and the amazing things that make uh, dance culture so special. We got a full house in the studio today. Uh, I'm Rich. I'm here. Rob is here. Hello. Got John Ochoa in the building. Yo, yo. Sam Yu is back in the squad. Come on, dude. Oh, yeah. We out here. <laughs> and uh, and again, the Dave Matthews Band is, is back in the studio. Band is back in town. Reunited. <laughs> As always, you can find us on Twitter using the hashtag Wide Awake Stories. You can also follow the Insomniac Editorial Squad at insomniac.com on Twitter and on Facebook. And we're also bringing a little something special to Wide Awake Stories. We are introducing the Wide Awake Hotline, a.k.a. the Rave Hotline, a.k.a. Hotline Bling. Episode four is going to focus on 2016. We're also going to look ahead to 2017. And the boss man himself, Pasquale Rotella, is going to make an appearance on the show. So call into our Wide Awake Hotline. Uh, share us your New Year's resolutions for 2017. Some of your favorite stories about 2016. Any confessions that you have. Any people you want to shout out. And we'll be going through all those messages in episode four, which is set to air on January 3rd. And the big news, since last we spoke to you guys, uh, tickets are now on sale for EDC Las Vegas 2017. So if you are looking for that last minute Christmas gift for the raver in your life, uh, look no further than tickets to the biggest show of the year. So if you got any questions for the Night Owl himself, call us up at 310-818-9406. What's that number again? That would be 310-818-9406. Welcome to Wide Awake Stories. So this episode, we're going to focus on a topic that is uh, very important to the dance music community. It's community itself. We're going to be talking to and about people all across the dance music spectrum, um, starting with Kennedy Jones. Kennedy Jones is one of the most stand-up dudes I've had the pleasure of meeting over the years. Um, he is actually organizing a clothing drive in downtown LA on December 10th at the Midnight Mission. We'll have more information later on in the show on how you can get involved and give back and help somebody out this holiday season. And John, you had a chance to chat with a bunch of online groups, right? Yeah, you're going to hear from a roundtable of people who run and moderate various online groups to discuss how community lives online. You're also going to hear from Brad and Dela from Moon Tribe, which is a group that's been around for about 25 years now, throwing parties out in the desert and what sort of unique community they've fostered out there over the years. And you're going to hear from the co-founder of Electric Family and our Insomniac Care team about how they give back to the community. But first, you have a really funny story from Mr. Nigel Fick, don't you, Rob? So Nigel is a character. Man, he's like the rave unicorn if there ever was one. You guys have probably seen him at our shows wearing gold pants and star pasties across his nipples and 
Australian accent. Um, he goes to a lot of shows. He is a character indeed. Some actually might call him a rave celebrity. And I had the chance to go over to his house and he told me the story about uh, the time he brought EDC Orlando together in 2012. Headliner Highlights. So I'm sitting here with Nigel Fick. He had this great story for me the other day about community and how he brought a whole bunch of you guys together on the dance floor. And it was absolutely perfect for this episode. So I rounded him up and here he is. I want him to share the story with you. Oh, thanks a lot, mate. So I guess to tell this story, set and setting is very important. I believe it was uh, about 2012. We were in Orlando for EDC Orlando, shocker. And, uh, you know, we had a huge show. There were a lot of people out there. They were all charged up, excited to hear the music, see the favorite DJs. And we, at the time, had a uh, rain or shine policy on all our shows. Unfortunately, uh, the state of Florida and Mother Nature apparently did not sign that contract. And what happened was, a peaceful, loving dance scene was soon violently blown by gusting hurricane force winds. And then lightning showed up and was striking out all over the place that was hitting the stadium. And all of a sudden, everybody got real afraid. So in order to save the DJ from getting, you know, electrocuted or whatever, I guess they decided to take a quick delay and shut down the main stage. Well, <clears throat> this didn't really go over, you know, too well with the old crowd there. And uh, before I knew it, people were yelling, they were screaming, they were pumping their fists, they were tossing bottles of water on the stage, they started pulling down banners. Look, I know what you're saying, Nigel, how does this relate to community? This doesn't sound like community at all. Well, first of all, Rob, I'd have to tell you, those people all came together and started ripping that venue apart like nobody's business. But it's not actually the community part of the story. Don't worry, you're sweating there. So anyway, they start pelting the stage with all kinds of stuff. Tufts of grass, half-filled bottles of water, Anyway, we were backstage and all of a sudden the stage manager comes up to me and Bunny, you know Bunny, Rabbit in the Moon. So he was directing the stage and the stage manager comes up and he's like, look, we need to do something. We got to sell these people down somehow. So uh, he's like, get out there, Bunny. Bunny looks at the guy and he's like, you're crazy. I'm not going out there. I'm from Florida. I know what these people are capable of. They look at me and they're like, Nigel, go on out there. I'm thinking, you know, they shut this whole stage down to prevent the DJs from getting electrocuted. And then there they go, shoving old Nigel out there on the stage, right in the line of fire. I tell you, I was quaking, Rob. I was terrified, you know. I didn't know really like what I should do at that point, you know? So I just did what came naturally, went something like this. Whip, ooh, whip, ooh, whip, ooh, rain or shine. 
wap 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 the thing that had brought them together. The beat, Rob, had returned. They stopped being naughty little party monsters for a second, and all of a sudden, they start running towards the stage again. Out of nowhere. It's like 40,000 people, Rob, out of nowhere. And apparently, that was the only sound in the entire festival. So there were people being naughty and tearing things up all over the place. But once they heard that beat, Rob, they all started running. And I just sat there. I went through every kind of genre and segment of music I could. I was like dubstep. I did everything, Rob, and I'll be gash darned. If those kids didn't all come together and start dancing and fist bumping and singing along to my ridiculous beatboxing. I tell you, it was one of the most amazing experiences of community I'd ever had. And I tell you what, as a little reward to yours truly, Mr. Paul Van Dyke, who hadn't had a performer on stage with him in I think like 10 years at that point, comes back to the dressing room and says, Nigel, I need you back on the stage. And I was like, what do you guys mean he needs me back on the stage? They said, we don't know either, get on the golf cart. And then I went and I emceed for Paul Van Dyke for his entire set. <laughs> that's that's true story, mate. Anyway, I hope you enjoy it and keep on dancing, everybody. Wide awake stories from Insomniac. Man, what a character Nigel is. Beatboxing. Can you imagine having a, bringing a crowd together with that? John, let's hear a little beatboxing from you. <laughs> good. And let's talk about the bigger issue. Who beatboxes or raps or even MCs over a Paul Van Dyke set? Yeah. How does that work? <laughs> no clue. <laughs> Nigel does. Wide Awake Stories. Next up, you're going to hear from the Insomniac Cares team. Now, Insomniac Cares has been around for a while. You may know it as the Insomniac Charitable Giving Initiative. It started off in 2011 as a way for us to give back to the organizations and the communities in the towns and the, and the cities that, uh, that we hold shows. More recently, you've seen donation bins at our various festivals, including this year's Nocturnal Wonderland, Escape, and EDC Orlando. So we're definitely growing Insomniac Cares. And you're going to hear from Desiree Naranjo, who's our communications manager here at Insomniac and has really helped take Insomniac Cares to the next level. The great thing about Insomniac Cares, too, is if you've been coming to our shows, you've actually been donating and giving back to the communities as well, and you might not even know it. And it's only natural that a company like Insomniac uh, try and make an impact in these communities. So uh, we're going to hear a little bit more about Insomniac Cares and ways that you can get involved. Experience creators. What's up, headliners? This is John from Insomniac, and I'm here with... Desiree Naranjo, and I'm the communications manager for Insomniac. And today we're talking about... Insomniac Cares! Yay! <laughs> so Desiree, for those who don't know, what is Insomniac Cares? 
Insomniac Cares is the charitable giving arm of Insomniac, and it concentrates on finding ways to make a positive impact in the communities where we hold our events, whether that's through donations or volunteer events or even just partnerships with local charities. It's what we concentrate on. And how and when did Insomniac Cares begin? We started Insomniac Cares in 2011, and that's when we started setting money aside from our ticket sales exclusively for charity. So for every festival that we have, $1 per ticket transaction and $10 per guestless attendee um, goes straight towards charities. Whether people realize it or not, they are donating to charity every time they buy a ticket. So it's a really great way to give back. So $1 per ticket sale and $10 per guestless spot doesn't sound like a lot of money to, to the everyday listener, but, but I believe we've raised a significant amount of money since launching Insomniac Cares. Yeah, I believe since 2011, we've donated a little bit over $1.7 million, and we have a lot more money we're going to give away this year. And every single year, we've been able to give more and more money to charity. So it's just, I mean, it's incredible. $1.7 million. Wow, that's a lot of money going to a good cause. Where exactly does that money go to, or who have we worked with in the past? Oh, so many amazing charities. We've worked with over 30 since 2011, and they're all doing really different and really exciting things. Primarily, we look for 501c3 nonprofits who are concentrating on either arts and education, health and well-being, or environmental sustainability. One of the more recent ones we've partnered with is called The Shade Tree, and they're based in Las Vegas. The services that they provide to the community are completely invaluable. They concentrate on improving the lives of women, children, and their pets affected by domestic violence and crisis in Las Vegas. And yesterday I learned that almost 15 people a day go to their shelter. Every single day, new people um, go because they need some sort of shelter from whatever situation that they're trying to escape. Because Las Vegas has one of the highest cases of domestic violence in the nation. And it's a community that we visit every single year, multiple times a year. Um, so we, we just needed to be a part of it. So speaking of the shade tree, last year they're the benefactor of the EDC Week charity auction, which raised how much money? We raised $120,000, which is double what we raised the year before. And we're actually the largest donators to the shade tree this year, which is really exciting. And do you know how the shade tree is using that money? Yeah, we are working with the Shade Tree right now to help them completely redesign and reconstruct their children's activity center, which is basically where anyone from a newborn just a few days old to 18 years old hangs out during the day when they're not at school. Um, so what it is right now is just kind of more oriented towards younger kids, but the teenagers don't really have anything to do. So we're basically redesigning the entire thing so there'll be a place for everyone to have something to do. That's amazing. And it's incredible to hear that all of our headliners are directly impacting all those communities, whether, again, whether they know it or not. I know. And that's my favorite part about Insomniac Cares, because we really went out of our way to choose charities that we feel our headliners would care about themselves. So we're using their dollars for a good thing. So for everyone out there listening right now, Insomniac Cares is not just about giving away money and donations. 
there are opportunities for hands-on volunteer work. Can you tell us more about that, Desiree? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so for the past year and a half, we've been working with a Los Angeles-based organization called Tree People, and they love trees, obviously, but <laughs> we partnered with them to plant and take care of trees in a specific part of Griffith Park that was just completely wiped out by the drought. Um, so we invited headliners and insomniacs to come together early on a Saturday morning and plant trees and water them and make sure that they're growing really strong so we can reforest that area. And we want to do more stuff like that in 2017. So that's what we're really concentrating on this next year. I was at that tree planting event with tree people and it was amazing to see all our headliners come out on a Saturday morning and donate their time and effort and energy to helping out tree people and the city of Los Angeles and insomnia cares. And whenever I go to a show, I see that same dedication at every one of our events and to see that come to life at this volunteer event was incredible to say the least. Yeah, I completely agree. I think the fact that so many people got up, like you said, early on the weekend to do something kind for someone else is just a visible manifestation of the values of our culture, you know, kindness, respect, and building a strong community. It's That's what Insomnia Cares is all about. And it was just an amazing thing to see that outside of our events. So why is it important for a company like Insomnia to have their own internal outreach program like Insomniac Cares. What I love about working on Insomniac Cares is that I know Pasquale really believes that the values of our community, the dance music community, kindness, passion, respect, they should all be present, not just at our festivals, but throughout our daily lives. And Insomniac Cares is a way for us to spread that goodwill. So Desiree, you've been working with Insomniac Cares since its beginning in 2011, since we launched do you feel that Insomniac Cares has helped build a community? I feel like Insomniac Cares has helped build a community outside of our festivals. We've had so many headliners reach out to us telling us this is an amazing thing. We want to get more involved. How do we do something? And that has just been one of the most rewarding parts for us. And I think it's a way for our headliners to interact with each other, not just at events, but outside of that, doing something nice for other people. So it's been incredible. So how can headliners get involved with Insomniac Carers and where can they go to learn more information about the organization? So any headliner can email us at insomniaccares at insomniac.com with any questions or charity recommendations or any ideas for volunteer events. We're always looking for new ideas. And if they want to stay up to date on all of our news, they can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Insomniac Cares. You're tuned in to Wide Awake Stories. You're tuned in to episode three of Wide Awake Stories. This is the community episode, and you just heard from our Insomniac Cares team. So we want to thank everyone who's been attending our shows and contributing to Insomniac Cares. And a special shout out to those headliners who've brought donations directly to our festivals. And we're going to be doing a lot more of that starting in 2017. If you want to get more involved with Insomniac Cares, read up on insomniac.com charity. Next up, we have an interview with Brad and Dela of Moon Tribe. If you are a SoCal resident or if you've been raving for a really long time, Moon Tribe probably has a special place in your heart. It does mine. They've been putting on desert parties for about 25 years now, almost a quarter of a century. And if you've ever been to one, you know that it's a completely different kind of a dance music experience. Actually, my introduction to the dance music community was through Moon Tribe back, I think, uh, in 95 or 96. It was the first party I ever went to. 
and it was a totally unique experience and I think it really set my foundation in dance music and, and, and showed me how passionate people can really be about the scene and about the communities that they're involved in. I've got a similar story with Moon Tribe. My first event was in 94 and I went to three or four parties before I ever attended my first rave. And oddly enough, I wouldn't say oddly, but my very first party was an Insomniac event in 95. And that was because of Moon Tribe. I think you and I have the exact same story, Rob. I think that's why we get along so well. Maybe. <laughs> Bromance. Sam, you have, a, you have a Moon Tribe story, don't you? Or two or three? Yeah, um, I'm actually more of a late bloomer. I've uh, only been going for a year or two now, uh, but it still had a lasting impact on me nonetheless. Those guys, they have a really good thing going on. And I think that's really the foundation for the interview. Um, you've got people who've gone since the beginning. You've got people who've just come on board later. It's not just people who've been going since the beginning. It's, it's newer people, it's younger people, it's older people. It really does represent an interesting cross-section of the dance music community. Doing this interview for us was Thomas Kelly, a longtime Insomniac.com contributor and a Moon Tribe OG whose brother John actually DJed at a lot of the Moon Tribes that I went to. Funky Desert Breaks. In the pantheon of electronic music mixes, Funky Desert Breaks uh, 1 and 2 are definitely in there for me. So let's take a trip out to the desert. Hi, I'm Brad, aka Brad Moon Tribe, and I've been uh, involved with Moon Tribe since 1995, and I first attended in 1994. I got shuttled in quick. Yeah. Good. Yeah. And I'm uh, Dela, aka Dela Moon Tribe, and uh, I first attended around 94 as well, uh, but didn't really become involved until 98, and uh, DJ, so uh, DJ and organizer. You know, the theme is community, and I think one of the things um, I was thinking, you know, to start this conversation was, you know, how is community, in your guys' eyes, in terms of Moon Tribe, how would you define community as far as the Moon Tribe version of community? I would say that uh, the way in for most people is through community, because we encourage people to just bring people who they know. And so it's really built upon friendships, so that's kind of what ties us all together is that we are all friends that are coming together. It's such an evolving, changing group of people that it's a very interesting question. I don't think I would claim that this holds true, but the, the idea is that you're supposed to never invite someone who you would not have in your own living room. So it is sort of meant to be an intimate introduction into this unique world. And would you say some of that is also the fact that it is often in remote locations, it's away from civilization, um, you're in nature, and so obviously part of the whole, almost the ritual moon tribe and the community is about sort of coming and sort of uh, um, celebrating, um, showing respect to your surroundings. Um, is that part of sort of that, that aspect, I guess, right? Yes, and also it's very much rooted in DIY culture. We want people to come out there who have some sort of personal introduction to what we're about. Especially today, most people are used to getting bombarded with uh, 
you know, ads and then given lots of instructions and directions on how to get there and, and really shuttle it. But then, this is really, you don't know where you're going a lot of times. And so if you don't have someone to show you the way, then it can be, you know, you can be confusing. But, you know, for those of people who are, who are already uh, self-sufficient, they can find their way there. Um, but those are like-minded people who want for that kind of adventure, you know. So I think that's something that ties us together is like wanting that kind of adventure that's not led. And one aspect of that, you know, just hearing you guys talk about it, which is, you know, comes so vividly to my own mind of going to Moon Tribe with friends and, and, uh, and then obviously um, knowing people once you start going for a few times, you know, you, you get to meet new friends. But part of that sort of whole thing is, is like you're saying, sort of showing people the way. So each new person who comes, they sort of, it's not an, I wouldn't say an, an initiation, but they sort of, um, uh, you are relying on other people, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're relying on like their sort of care and deep affection for the community to be somewhat selective about who comes. And, you know, we've never advertised. Underneath that approach is one, we don't ever want to get too large and unmanageable for ourselves, which it has on occasion. And we also are looking for sort of the sense that it kind of drifts into your consciousness at a time when you're ready to have this experience. It's there in the ether when you're ready type of thing. And then yeah. I think that creates a culture where if you fe people feel like it's all friends of friends, you people do kind of look out for each other a bit more. And, uh, and also there's a I think something that people, I noticed when I first came was people were very outgoing and kind of wanted to know who you were. So instead of feeling that there was a click that you had to break into, it was really something where I was like, well, who are these people? They want to know who I am. And it, it, it's a different kind of interaction. Right, so it's a welcoming experience, mm -hmm, right? So. Mm -hmm. Could you define Moon Tribe a little bit for people? We talked about community, but let's maybe talk about what Moon Tribe is. For, you know, how, how would you just describe it for people? Well, you know, everybody brings a little bit of their own idealistic vision to it. My particular view of it is that it is not just an escape from the city, but an experience that you don't get in the normal world. So commercial-free, vendor-free, um, single dance floors to develop unity and community out in nature. And then, of course, it's lunar-based on the lunar on the lunar calendar so you're really breaking away from the day-to-day -day structure that the, we're typically living in five days a week for work two days for your weekend it's like no it's the full moon's on wednesday we're going out on wednesday so we're getting in tune with natural cycles we're learning to have a gift economy for or exchange economy for a day and, you know, just promoting these other values that are hard to come by in the typical world we're all also engaged with. Um, I usually tell people that it's a ritual of dancing under the full moon. And more so I see it as a we all hold space for each other for some self-exploration, both of ourselves and uh, as someone who's linked in a community. One of my favorite things is when everybody howls at the moon and you know you feel very unified that way or because there's not a lot of distraction as far as production you know like lights or decoration or anything there's just you and the moon. I think it helps people realize that 
the power of the experience comes through just people coming together and bonding their energy. That's what makes it special to me. One unique thing I think about Moon Tribe is obviously the desert, but also that it has gone on for about 23 years now, um, pretty much unbroken, consistent, you know, and it's one of the few that have done that. A lot of the other party crews, even it's like Spiral Tribe and stuff, they've sort of, they took big breaks, you know, and sort of broke off and splintered and almost sort of went away, right? And then sort of come back in different ways. So where do you think that endurance comes from? from from like like you guys, you, know, you guys have been really carrying the mantle for many years now. I ask myself that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I think that the way the organization itself has been able to carry on is um, in part because the the organizers have always included like DJs and non-DJs. I think that's definitely essential because. Um, there's, there's some kind of balance there. I think DJ-only crews can get caught up in their own personal DJ career, whereas the non-DJs are, they're very dedicated to making the event happen itself. And then also, like we were saying, because we're all friends in the community, we have so much, we get so much out of going and meeting each other. You know, sometimes when the going gets tough, we, we really just want to go to the desert and be with each other. One thing I wanted to, uh, again, I think we talked a little bit about it, but I think also you guys talked about it, and such a big part of it is part of Moon Tribe and its, its quote-unquote community. And that is the journey there, not even just the party itself, it's the journey there. As an experience, it's still sort of the basics of what Rave is, right? How much do you feel that that is with the newer people that are coming? Um, well, some of the younger Moon Tribers that are now becoming, you know, a part of the, the, the tribe. Um, what is some of their perspectives when you have those conversations with them? How do they, um, how do they see all of it and Moon Tribe in, in terms of that larger context, you know, of, of where it fits in their their universe or constellation of experiences. I did talk to someone recently, actually, who uh, who said that they learned about Moon Tribe from a friend, and there was this, this like mythic party that happened in the desert, and they they lived up north, and they just they heard the music, but they didn't know how to get there, and then they you know, finally heard from a friend. Oh, you know, here I think I found it, and and then the journey out there. For the, the one person I was talking to, he said it, it felt really unreal because you're driving through the, there's no signpost, there was no advertisement to like assure you that this thing was happening and it just seems crazy getting out there because it's, you know, it came from, it was like this imaginary thing and now it's, you're coming and making it manifest and real and you drive into it and then oh, there's all these people and there's, you know, there's a fair number of people that come and so you, you get out there and it's kind of, it, feels like oh my god you know like oh that that's it is real yeah. <laughs> this myth this myth is real and right. and it's not until you get there so i think it does add to the sense of adventure um and it is it does feel like that that story has been repeated so many times that it does feel kind of like a rite of passage i guess maybe as a raver yeah <laughs> You know, you guys, uh, uh, a number of you uh, played at EDC um, this year in Las Vegas, and sort of speaking of sort of the um, where Moon Tribe sits in the larger sort of rave community, and, and I've always sort of personally thought of it a little bit like, like a lunar church, you know, or uh, almost like a mo monastic <laughs> sort of experience, right, where monks go out, and even people like Pasquale Rotella, who 
um, and a lot of people who are involved in Somniac, you know, they, they all went to Moon Tribe at some point in early years and it means a lot to them, you know, and it's, it was sort of one of those things that people could go out and sort of go, yeah, you could connect with people in a different way, right, in the community. Um, and is that something, you know, given the history of, of rave culture, um, that you guys still sort of see, do you still see it serving that function? Yeah, I think we're still connecting out there with the larger scene and, you know, it may come in little drips and drops. Yeah, I do yeah. think that there's, a, especially right now in Southern California, there are lots of underground uh, uh, communities or different crews who are doing their own thing, but they also come to Moon Tribe or we uh, mix with their events, so like Terrachroma or Subtract or the um, uh, the Green Sector people or... Um, the, there's some other smaller crews that are like Noise Revolt and Undercurrent, and they they have hired people within uh, Moon Tribe after coming out to Moon Tribe, and then they bring some of that back to them. And there's this like back and forth, um, and then also it's cool to still be involved with a like larger rave scene. Like going to EDC last year was amazing. <laughs> it was such <laughs> it an was amazing. it was a, such an experience yeah. to like yeah. to go and yeah. and be a part of that. Since so, I'm uh, having my first post-interview of that experience, just want to say for the record that the, the production is just really like unreal. out of this world. It's really just so impressive. Yeah. I'm just yeah. like, blown away by every stage. Yeah. So I, it's cool that there is a back and forth, and I, I actually love uh, that we celebrate diversity. Or you know, there's other other and the festival world like Lightning in a Bottle and Symbiosis. There are tons of people who have been involved with Moon Tribe um, that are working in those crews, and you know, and we get to be participate in that stuff too. So it's like not just it's not just underground. It's not just commercial. It's not just the festival. We're all kind of feeding each other, and I think that's a really beautiful thing right now. One thing I was thinking about as you guys were talking about was um, uh, Moon Tribe is a donation um, event. And so people don't pay necessarily for a ticket. It's not fee-based and it's not free. Um, so everybody is really, you know, they're not forced to pay to get into the event. Um, but, you know, definitely it's encouraged for people to put some skin in the game. Um, can you guys talk a little bit about that design dynamics of that and how you feel like the donation piece is really important and key to the community, both sustaining it and keeping an, a certain level of integrity uh, to the people who come? It's funny because we, we don't insist on a donation, but it is necessary for people to donate if they want it to keep happening. Because, you know, we're not getting paid. The DJs and the organizers don't get paid, but we have to pay for land and gas and equipment and sound and porta potties and a bunch of stuff. And so it helps grow the personal responsibility piece. And it's like, if you value something in the world, you show that by you know, we, we tell everyone to dance hard, of course, but, but but also by giving the suggested donation. And, you know, it's not a lot. We usually suggest like $10, which in this day and age is, you know, unheard of. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, but, um, you know, you will a lot of times get people who come up and just say, like, I don't have any money. And we, we show compassion saying, you know, well, you know, next time if you have 
you know, maybe this month is hard. Next time, maybe you can bring more. And we, and it's cool. It does ebb and flow. You have people who come to the door, and they've been that person who hasn't had money before, and they'll kick down extra for other people. And and so instead of insisting and being rigid and and de, and demanding a fee, we just leave it up to the community to support what they value, and it's worked out great. When you drive up to a Moon Tribe party. You're greeted by organizers, or maybe sometimes people that have only been there a few times that are being trained to educate you about what you need and how you participate. And that's the key distinction: is that you're participating. You're not consuming. You know, if I buy a product, I'm consuming. If I come to Moon Tribe and I donate because I feel moved to donate, I'm participating in this in sustaining this culture. It's really essential to the uniqueness of the experience and the feeling of community. The future going forward, right? Twenty-three years, the world's going to continue to go through a lot of changes. And Moon Tribal, but that's one of the things I love about Moon Tribal is that, in some ways, the idea is so simple. It's so simple. That's right? why it's so easy to keep going. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in terms of the, you know the future, you know, what are your guys sort of as far as the community? Um, you know, new people continue to come every every party. Mm-hmm. New people come, right, mm-hmm. and discover it. What are your guys' hopes for you know Moon Tribe and what role you feel? Hopefully, you feel like you can play both in your own lives, the community. For for me, like one of the goals that is always seems to be just around the next bend is that we'll really have a new generation take the reins. But that said, you know if. People with a lot of experience, like Corin and Siobhan and Chad and Dela, are have the energy to keep putting into it. That's also great because that's cultural, uh, institutional knowledge that's invaluable. I think change does happen over time. It just happens more slowly and more gradually than we realize. Like for example, um, when we we now have nobody on the organizing core that was um, was present at or organizing at the very beginning, right? And all the all the DJs, the first uh, f- and the first DJs are not regular DJs to the the DJs now. So change has happened, but and and which is actually very rare in in crews and usually you know there's that founder syndrome where it dies off with the founders um, so we did actually manage to get to the next generation it's now about continuing to cultivate that and and really you know moon tribal exists as long as people feel like it you know it needs to you're listening to wide awake stories you're listening to Wide Awake Stories, Episode 3, and you just heard from Brad and Della from Moon Tribe. It's really such a big collective, and it was unfortunate that we could only have two people in here. So shout out to everyone involved that is making that party happen and keeping it going for so long. Yeah, and shout out to all the people who make the treks out there in the middle of the week on Wednesday night to party with uh, Under the Full Moon. Dedication. I've never been to one, but uh, that interview definitely inspired me to check it out. And if you want to learn more about Moon Tribe, the interviewer, Thomas Kelly, actually wrote a fantastic piece on the organization, which you can find at insomniac.com slash moontribe. He's done a few of them, actually. He's spent a lot of time in the desert, that kid. Yeah. We're talking about community. And speaking of community, you spoke to 
the co-founder of Electric Family, right, Rob? I did. He came into the office last week and I had the opportunity to chat with him about what Electric Family is all about and how they're giving back to the community. They've worked with Zed, they've worked with Corella, they've worked with a whole bunch of artists like Seven Lions, but not just artists, Doctors Without Borders, Pencils of Promise, Cancer Foundations, um, this charity called 20 for 20 for 20 that restores sight to people that are blind. This is Wide Awake Stories. I'm sitting here with Drew Nylon. He's the co-founder of Electric Family. Drew, say hi and introduce yourself to Wide Awake listeners. Tell them who you are and what Electric Family is all about. Not too much to say about myself. Grew up in the Bay Area, live in Los Angeles now, went to school in Arizona. Uh, But Electric Family was conceived actually in Miami. Myself and a couple of our friends, we were down for uh, Miami Music Week just kind of saw an opportunity for for clothing essentially what was being offered to dance music fans in general was not something that necessarily we would wear and we wanted people to you know just be able to express themselves in a different way then we quickly realized that if we wanted to uh, grow the brand properly we needed support from the tastemakers which is of course the artists the djs um, in order to do that we really needed to create a win-win situation for everyone involved because then the artists didn't feel guilty about promoting a product to their fans that was just you know them making money it was a way to give back to the world um, through charity it was a stylish product the fan wins because they get to rep something um, of their favorite artists you know everyone wins it's great for us as well so the basic concepts we essentially partner with djs from around the world we have I think, over close to 60 now i don't know the exact number and we create a, a bracelet with their logo on it or their name uh, they pick the colors and then the artist picks a charity of their choice uh, something that they're passionate about something that potentially hits home and uh, we sell the bracelet exclusively on electricfamily.com from there we uh, donate proceeds to the charity of the artist choice it's it's a fairly simple concept we donated close to three hundred fifty thousand dollars in three years uh, to various charities across the world you know writing a check to charity is fantastic i would encourage anyone uh, that has the flexibility to do so to give back Uh, but for us we wanted to embody that a little bit more and we wanted to encourage people to get off their couches and and contribute to their communities and so we came up with uh, a similar concept uh, where we invite one of our artists out they invite their fans to come out to say a food drive like you know there's there's they're all over the country we have one, a big one in los angeles the la food bank uh, we went out with adventure club they invited 150 fans and we packaged a thousand boxes of food for families in need the fan got to interact with uh, the guys um, which was great you know seeing seeing their faces light up and they're extra motivated to to help the community so it's just a really a way of leveraging um the artists um fame if if you will um and their their uh, social power to give back to the community through the corella bracelet we were able to raise a significant amount of money uh, to date i think we've raised just with theirs a little bit over thirty thousand. and halfway through but i think it was a year and a half ago uh, we took fifteen thousand dollars of that money and we purchased a device for paraplegics that help them get back on their way to hopefully getting back on their feet. And so we delivered this device to this guy's house. It was just incredible. You know, the 
his reaction and his family's reaction, uh, they were obviously so grateful. You know, $15,000 is a lot of money for most people. And to be able to give it back to this guy who unfortunately went paralyzed because of a stray bullet that went through his, you know, his house window. It's just such a sad story. Um, this device is hopefully going to get him back on track to one day getting on his feet. And so that was, that was really powerful for us to see actually not just writing a check, but that the money was going to someone and maybe we were going to have a chance to change his life. That was worth, worth everything that we do. And so I would always encourage more people to um, take, you know, whatever the dance music community has given them and apply that to, uh, you know, the real world or their outside life outside of dance music community because um, that's the way we're going to really make an impact. Wide Awake Stories from Insomniac. You're listening to Wide Awake Stories. We've just heard from Drew Nylon, one of the co-founders from Electric Family. You may recall a few of the bracelets we did in collaboration with their team. So we've done three collaborations with them in the past. I personally have the Bass Rush and Nocturnal ones. They're pretty badass. Yeah, hopefully we set more up in the future so you guys can get one yourselves. Learn more about Electric Family by checking out their website. Electricfamily.com. There it is. Speaking of being online, if you are someone who spends a lot of time online and you are in the dance music community, I'm sure you know what Reddit is and the EDM subreddit. You probably know about groups like EDM Madness or Insomniac Ravers. We had a chance to sit down with the moderators and organizers of a few of these groups and talk about what it's like to foster and control or attempt to control a massive online community of dance music fans. So we invited all those three groups to Insomniac HQ to talk about online communities, how they grow them, how they handle trolls and haters online, and the future of online communities. Check it out. My name is John Z. Kim. I am with the Insomniac Ravers group and Plur Foundation Facebook group. We started in Crush, well, we started in February 2014 for Crush as a meetup group, and we got like five or 10 people to show up. And ever since then, it's been growing, and uh, Insomniac Ravers is at 8,000 members approximately, and Plur Foundation is about 500. I'm Raphael. Uh, I moderate the Reddit Electronic Music subreddit. Currently, we have around 160,000 subscribers, um, a lot of active commenters and guys that come on there every day that you'll see. I'm Angie Chang and I'm part of EDM Madness. We're a, an invite only Facebook group that's not searchable. So it's quite interesting. We started in October 15th, 2010 as a way to share music with each other. So I was sharing a lot of music on my Facebook wall and people were hoping to have a place where it's all aggregated that they could just go to. So the way EDM Madness is run is that people are welcome to post whenever they want, whatever they want, as long as it adheres to a certain amount of guidelines that we've set. People really self-regulate. There's this amazing feature on Facebook that allows you to flag to the admins and people readily use that and that's how they alert us to any posts that don't adhere to our guidelines. That's awesome. Uh, I wish that my users were like that cool because every time they use like the flagging thing it's always to like troll us so then there's like this little thing it goes like reports and you'll see like two reports and uh 
like will click on it to see like what they're saying about the post, like why it's messed up. And it's like, screw you. And it's like, you know, like, something like this, mod suck. Like, oh, thanks bro, really appreciate that. So I wish that we had something like that. What is it about electronic music that allows for these groups to happen? What is it about this culture that that promotes that community online? I think that for a while, electronic music was extremely underground. So it was harder to have those interactions in person at shows. Back in the day when you were into electronic music, you're a little bit technologically inclined. If I want to be PC about it, AKA nerdy, <laughs> you know? So like, you would be on like some IRC chats or something like that, or Reddit back in the day when nobody was on it, so. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to agree with that. I think a lot of the electronic scene has been, it's all been about word of mouth. So, you know, with technology and messaging and things like that, you know, it does, I see a lot of invites in the underground, you know, happening all through Facebook, you know, so, you know, it's embracing that technology and also it's accessibility, it's all free too, so why not? When electronic music really launched, there were a lot of meeting points, physical meeting locations, whether that's a record store, a party, map points, or a dance floor. Some of those have gone away, you know, you don't really see people today hanging out at record stores like they used to, but you do see them essentially doing what they would do at a record store online via a Facebook group or a Reddit group where they're taking the mentality of what, what it used to be to meet someone in person and bringing that to life online. Would you agree with that or is that something that you're seeing yourselves? Yeah, 100%. 100%. There's no question. There's guys that come on every day that are just commenting, posting music, trying to start discussion. They just like to talk about dance music, you know? Those are the same dudes that in the 90s would hang out at those record stores and just like wouldn't buy anything, smoke a little weed in the back, <laughs> just talk about music. Right. Hey, fix twin, bro. I think there's also a sense of safety because people do want to meet, they want to talk about these subjects that they're really passionate about, but they can be keyboard ninjas if they really have to be. And the beautiful thing about it is so many people with similar interests have connected as a result of the internet. A lot of relationships have formed as a result of two people liking the same DJ or wanting yeah. to go to the same event and not having anyone else to go with. Recently, I really wanted to go see Tycho play in LA, but it was a, a school night a lot of people were working the next day, so it was going to be tough to find friends to go with. So I showed up to the show on my own, posted on EDM Madness, and next thing I know, I was surrounded by 15 EDM Madness members, and that was really magical. We were That's able great. to take a That's big awesome. group picture. That's, That's great. Yeah. What do you all personally get out of the group? What do you enjoy doing about it? What makes you keep it up and alive for so long? I run EDM Madness because I, I truly believe that it gives me the sense of belonging to something bigger and greater, and I love feeling like I'm part of a bigger community. As much as we want Plur to run the world, there's some trolls out there, and there's Ooh. just a bunch <laughs> of like haters online, and that's, you know, we see that throughout all the Insomniac social channels and comments, and I'm very curious to know how you all deal with that. Right. So we face two kinds of trolls. We face the trolls who just post really annoying things and try yeah. to start fights with everyone. <laughs> and then the other flip side of things is because I am female, I've been harassed a lot through private messages. Wow. So the ones who harass me through private messages obviously are banned right away from the group. And my, my group of friends, um, 
will, if they ever approach me at an event, we'll probably take them down if they really try to do anything. And the second time, the trolls. Has, has that ever happened? Have you ever like met, seen one of those crazy dudes in person? Not the ones who have harassed me, thankfully, but the, the trolls, yes. And that actually gets to my second part of the story. You kill them with kindness. Yeah. So special shout out to Rick and Herman and Nabil, <laughs> who are now really good friends. They used to always troll on EDM Madness. And once we met in person, I, I explained to them that community meant a lot to me and the people who are a part of it and who actively participate, so that their trolling actually takes away from the experience. Yes. And now they're all upstanding citizens. I would have <laughs> paid money to be there at that conversation, to just see that go down. That's pretty amazing. What will each of your groups do to try to continue this online community movement? Like, how do you keep this group from not dying out in the, next, in the next five years? How do you keep it alive? What EDM Madness has done is we've created a logo, we've created a story behind the logo, and we've gone to all these events with the intention to adopt more people into our families. So what I mean by that is, say I'm going to EDC Las Vegas, I'll go with my group of friends, but I'll invite them to invite their friends who have never gone to EDC before, and then they become part of our, our rave fam, or, right. and then eventually EDMM. Uh, we have this baby seal that is our logo. You <laughs> yes. might have seen it on many I flags, it. yes. and it's evolved now into like a DJ baby seal because <laughs> he's gone on his little trip to um, pursuing his, his music and passion, that type of thing. But the story behind that is, you guys know that really terrible joke, clubbing yeah. baby seals? Yeah. yeah. So the baby seal thing came out of that concept. It's a clubbing baby seal. Hell yeah. And his name is Coco the baby seal because all of our initial board meetings for EDMM were held at Coconut Bay out in Roland Heights. So okay. we just jokingly call him Coco. And at that time, Sander Van Doren had a song called Coco out. Oh. So we're like, okay, that's, There's that's story. a fun name. I that <laughs> that's a fun That's great. The weird situation is like are we taking it online to offline offline to online how yeah. does that dynamic work what if someone doesn't have facebook are they yeah. still part of edmm yeah it's, the truth is they are so yeah cool that's tight this is wide awake stories broadcasting from the insomniac hq you're listening to episode three of Wide Awake Stories, and that was a really cool roundtable. And if you're not involved in any online dance music community, I really encourage you to find a group that that fits with your lifestyle and your interests, and uh, and join on and, and contribute to the conversation and and be a part of these massive online communities. And you're guaranteed to meet some new friends along the way too. And probably do battle with a few trolls. So if you're stuck and you don't know which community you best identify with, Insomniac has your back. We just ran an article uh, rounding up 10 very dope online communities. So check it out at insomniac.com slash communities. Rob and I are actually uh, a part of a, an online group. It's called oldfartravers.com. <laughs> Dude, I bailed that group so long ago. Yeah, there was nothing going on in that group. We got to find another group. I don't think they know how to use the internet. <laughs> And a special thank you for all you headliners that hit us up on Twitter, hashtag Wide Awake Stories. We loved hearing your comments, um, especially one that made us laugh a little extra hard from Joanne. Sorry for not actually bringing uh, EDC to South Africa yet. I know we didn't we didn't mean to uh, to get you all excited about that. Antarctica's not happening because the polar ice caps are melting. <laughs> Thanks, Trump. <laughs> and shout out to Leah Batten on Twitter, A Dreamer's Days. Uh, thanks for tuning into the show. Uh, I'm glad that you seriously love it. We seriously love putting it together for you. 
Keep hitting us up, finding us on Twitter, hashtag Wide Awake Stories, and follow the Insomniac Social Squad at insomniac.com. Stream us online at Mixcloud. Leave us a comment, repost on SoundCloud. And we're also broadcasting our episodes on YouTube. So if you're a YouTube person, go on, find Wide Awake Stories, and uh, leave us a comment there as well. Basically, just leave comments. Leave comments everywhere. Yeah. Go on your friends' Facebook pages, hashtag Wide Awake Stories on their wall. And call the hotline bling. And the hotline. Yeah, we got our rave hotline. Don't forget to call us up and leave a message at 310-818-9406. What's that number, Rich? That's 310-818-9406. Next up on Wide Awake Stories, it's our final segment. Rob over here got a chance to talk with Kennedy Jones, uh, who puts the G in Ginger, a.k.a. not... Jamie Kennedy. I know <laughs> Rob had a little uh, little misstep in the interview there. I don't know what it was, man, but I was calling him Kennedy, Jamie Kennedy for like a week straight. And I even called him Jamie Kennedy to his face during the interview. I want to know what your latent fascination is with Jamie Kennedy. I don't even want to have that dream again. I don't know. Or yeah, he's a really loud voice in the dance music community, and he's saying a lot of amazing things, and, and we felt it was important to, to collab in 2017, so there's going to be a lot more coming up from, uh, from Kennedy Jones and Insomniac in the new year. He came into the office, and I had a chance to chat with him. Uh, my name is Kennedy Jones. Uh, I represent positivity through my brand and, and inspiring other people. Uh, everything I do uh, music-wise and in the community is really about kind of trying to bring to light the the subjects that not a lot of people want to talk about, but that are important. You have done a lot to give back to the community and give back to your fans. I mean, why is it so important for you to do what you're doing? And, and why do you think it's hard for a lot of DJs, like whether they feel like, you know, there's causes that they believe in or not, but they just choose to just stay silent on, on certain issues and topics? I think, you know, I've, I've done a lot for my fans because they've done a lot for me, plain and simple. So the, the KJ Payday thing, you know, the Never Not Meetups and, and me taking specific, detailed, focused, dedicated time for certain fans that are having problems in their personal life. I do that for people because, you know, the fans have given me my life. And I think me, it's important because I want to sleep at night. At the end of the day, I want to sleep at night. And, and I think I'm not better or worse than anybody for having that kind of a conscience. For me, I, I want to be authentic. And if I'm not truly being authentic in what I believe in, then then I can't sleep at night. I, I'm bothered. I feel like I've kind of sold out and sold my soul to the devil just so that I can be famous or that I can be rich or so that I can be whatever it is that people think they're going to get at the end of this tunnel. The issues that I'm very, very outspoken on, when I started speaking on them, I didn't really see a lot of movement from other, other artists, you know, men and women. You know, it wasn't a gender thing. It was Nobody wanted to tarnish their brand. You know, if they're on the upswing, who wants to say something that might be looked at as offensive? But in the truth of it, the right thing is the right thing. So if I stand up for gender equality, um, because I think that, you know, women are underrepresented most of the time in dance music. If somebody's offended by that, that I said that I think women are underrepresented, then I'm, I'm sorry. I got nothing to say to that person. You know, we can agree to disagree. I don't think that it'd be right to end my career over that. And I do this for people, not for me. You know, and the second that I realized this is not for me, you know, I used to live in a car. I don't, I don't need the lavish life. You know what I mean? Me and my two sisters and my mom lived in a station wagon when I was a kid. This is not about private jets or nice houses or clothes or shoes or any of that BS. 
this is about people. I've gone through so much stuff as an artist already that the modern person I think would have already quit. And I'm not quitting because I realized the importance of people in my life and the importance of the people that were there for me when I had the most tough times. There were human beings that scooped me up, that helped me out. And I owe that to those people to, to be that voice of reason today, to be that voice of power today, to be that voice of inspiration today. The number one ethos of, of Never Not for me, the, the entire inner workings of it are to just be positive and to always reach out, you know, always be proactively helping people. Obviously, sometimes it, it can be a, a dicey situation if you see someone that you think may be having a hard time or may be in trouble and you don't want to offend somebody by saying, hey, do you need help with that? Or this is what I think, you know. But the bottom line is that anytime I'm going through something and somebody comes to me and says, hey, I want you to know, like, I see how hard you're working to overcome this, but I want to help you with this because I, I recognize that. I am a thousand times more touched with proactivity of somebody trying to help me rather than me, you know, going through a situation where I'm going to have to beg someone for help. So with the never not ideal, it's, it's, it's about keeping an eye out. You know, it's like a neighborhood watch for your friends and for your fellows. It's about watching and, you know, what? Walking an old woman across the street uh, with her groceries is not going to cut it anymore. You know, there's good deeds for the day, but then there's doing the right thing every day. Those are two different things, you know, and I think not anyone's perfect. I'm definitely not perfect. I've made mistakes, but I think at the end of the day, the most important part about it is for me is to have a team behind me and a team around me of like-minded individuals that want to push the culture and keep the culture together of dance music, but also understand that when people see someone do something incredible, they're publicly associated with dance music culture. And they're like, wow, that, that, you know, those ravers did that. We do have the ability to, to influence, you know, the global dance music community on, on a larger scale. So even as never not, just as my own team, never not means just never not being on the lookout, never not giving back, never not showing somebody that you love them, even if they're a stranger. Just walking someone across the street or opening a door, that's called courtesy. That's not, that's not necessarily kindness. That's courtesy. You know, and I think there's a giant difference between exercising kindness and courtesy. You know, when you're a kid, everyone's like, I want you to be kind and courteous. They list those off because those are just words we hear growing up. But when you get older, you start to realize that the depth of definition is, is real. I can be courteous and open a door for someone or, you know, that doesn't necessarily make me kind. I think for me, Never Not is really about promoting the kindness that you're capable of having. And, and I know the magic of being on a stage in front of thousands of people that when I'm talking about Plur or I'm talking about the unified stance that we all take through music, our connection through music and the positivity that's in the air that's flowing through me at that point, I'm going, what would happen if we took this outside of this place right now? What would happen if all of us left right now on this positive high that we have and went out into the world? Because I said it earlier and I'll say it again. Sometimes we lose that on the way to the parking lot when we wait two hours to get out of the party and the traffic's bad and we're frustrated and we're tired and we're burning out and oh my God, and I have to work tomorrow and all the troubles of life come back. This world that Insomniac has created as a whole is a real thing now. This is much like the Disneyland effect is what I call it. Walt had an idea, it happened. Now look at it. I think about Disneyland and I'm happy because I've been going there since I was a kid. It's a real thing. I think about dance music parties that Insomniac puts on and it's a real thing. It causes a real emotion of, of giving, a real emotion of, of being positive. And I think 
that's why I admire the brand so much. That's why Never Not is designed the way it is because it inspired me to understand that I, as an artist myself, have the power to do that. I'm often known for taking the music down and giving little speeches in between, you know, 10 songs or so and my sets because I'm so overwhelmed with the emotion and, and the things that I want to say on Twitter just don't resonate. They don't. The things I want to say on Facebook don't resonate. But if we're in the moment, in that escapist moment where people think they're getting away from reality and I drop some reality in there in a positive note, they free associate reality with music again. They re they free associate the change and inspiration and chance they have to change with the music again. So Never Not is really about creating and preserving, you know, a feeling that people can relate to directly so that they can take it out in the real world and, and practice those principles of kindness. So just on that line of, of taking things out into the real world and you commented earlier about, can you imagine if everybody in the room could take this energy and go out into the real life and make something happen? Is there a story that's kind of that's that really kind of hit home for you personally that that whether it has to do with never not or just the dance music community as a whole where you've seen people just rally around a cause or or a person or i was on tour a couple years ago with Datsik and, and we did a, a bus tour and it was me and Barely Alive and, and Twine and Fox Stevenson and Trolley Snatcher, just a great group of people. We went to one city, uh, I believe that it was in, I want to say Urbana, Illinois. Uh, and I met a young gentleman that came up to me and said, I have 19 days clean and sober because I heard you were sober and I love dance music and I just didn't think the two could coexist. And I was shocked. I was like, I couldn't, you know, I was, I was touched. I couldn't even, you know, talk and, and we met and I took a picture with him and we talked and I just, you know, I gave him, you know, some, some praise and some advice and said, hit me up anytime you need anything. And then one day I was working, you know, in the studio and I heard a little, an instant message pop in and it was that dude. And he's like, Hey, I got a year today. I just want to let you know. I wanted to cry because I was just so touched that I wouldn't be able to do the same thing if I didn't include the music. I wouldn't be able to help someone in that way if I didn't include the music. I think probably my final question to you would be, with the dance music community expanding like it is, um, Insomniac is going global, we're, we're at a time right now where you could see it just feels like society's getting more insular at a time when everything is getting bigger. And so what do you feel like we have to do as a dance music community to still have that, that talk and that interaction and just that human connection levelness with people that, uh, that takes it outside of social media or off the dance floor. Yeah. How does the dance music community, I guess, just keep growing as a culture. As a culture. For me, the, the biggest priority in my brand are the people. I, I think Insomniac does a really good job at showing the same, uh, down to water stations, this, the way they set up their events. I mean, we're talking about operational things that could probably be a lot easier to do if they just didn't care, frankly. Um, if you guys didn't really care about your guests, uh, you know, your headliners, then you, you could save a lot of time and money probably by not going out of the way for these people. So being on the right track with the company to go global with is, is a huge part of it. But I think the, the other side of the, the, the coin is it is up to the fans to bring that, to show that they're here for the cause, not for the effect. The bottom line is, you know, I think with anything that becomes quote unquote too mainstream, that's because you have too many people there for the effect and not for the cause. You know, you have uh, a certain type of hip hop music that's really, you know, kind of a niche thing. And then all of a sudden it blows up 
because people like the effect it produces for them. They don't they they don't represent the cause that it represents. They like the effect. They like the way they look to other people because they listen to that kind of music. They like the way they get to dress because that kind of music includes this certain style. They like the way they get to live their life because that music gives them excuse to do that. But there's no cause, you know, that that incorporates that. So the dance music community I think needs to remember it won't go away if if they're representing the cause. So what we what we want to do is educate the people. Don't judge somebody's <laughs> interest in the music. Don't say, "Oh, that person, we should probably talk to him about why they're here." You know, don't be cult, you know, but cultivate. You know what I'm saying? I think as a dance music enthusiast, cultivate by what we're talking about, by being in action, by being somebody that people want to be. This is Wideawake Stories from Insomniac. That guy's got the gift of gab, man. He has he does not run out of words. No, for sure, but all the words are good. Yeah, he does wax poetic for sure. On December 10th in downtown Los Angeles at the Mission District, he's going to be doing a clothing drive. But before that happens, he set up a few drop-off points where you could bring your clothes to donate to help out those in need. There's a Glendale drop-off, there's a downtown LA drop-off, and there's another one in Silver Lake. Check out insomniac.com forward slash Kennedy Jones for the addresses and specific info. Wide Awake Stories. Thank you for tuning in. That was our episode dedicated to community. Rich, what do we have coming up? For our next episode, we're going to be taking a look back in the rear view at 2016, some of our favorite moments, and we're going to be setting the table for a lot of what Insomniac's got planned for 2017. Uh, Pasquale's going to be on the show, uh, maybe revealing a few secrets. Maybe that Vegas lineup is coming out. That's a big maybe. That's a big maybe. Maybe he'll treat us to a few sneak peeks. So if you have any questions for Pasquale or you want to talk to uh, a member of the Wide Awake Word Crew, you can hit us up at the Wide Awake Hotline. The number is 310-818-9406. And if you still don't have New Year's Eve plans, don't worry about it. We've got you covered once again. Go to insomniac.com slash New Year's Eve and you can see a selection of the shows we've got coming up. We've got two days worth of countdown this year. We've got Get Real, who's Green Velvet and Claude Van Stroke at the Factory 93 Warehouse in downtown L.A., also in downtown LA, we've got Duke DeMond at Exchange. And you can't forget about the Chainsmokers at the Convention Center. But that's sold out. It's, it's sold out, but they will be at, at Countdown. So there's, there's your chance to see them there. So I hope you all have a safe, happy, and healthy New Year. And we will see you back here on Wide Awake Stories in 2017. I feel like I should tell people to stay hydrated as well. Stay hydrated. Stay hydrated. Tune <laughs> in next month for a new episode of Wide Awake Stories. Stories.